Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 26th of February, 2021. We've been talking about lipoic acid and deacetylase enzymes, particularly the sirtuins. And we've been describing to you that some sirtuins have specificity that they'll allow um, the reaction to proceed with any acyl group, so not just acetate. In fact, one of the groups that can be removed from a protein, because remember these are protein deacylases, the sirtuins, is lipoic acid being removed from the uh, lipoamid lysyl residue of E2 of pyruvate dehydrogenase, thus collapsing the activity of PDH and then enhancing not so much glycolysis, but glutaminolysis, which will then allow for carbon coming from the amino acids after transamination and glutamate dehydrogenase activities, that carbon coming into play for gluconeogenesis. Glutaminolysis can also allow for carbon to be spun through the TCA cycle, especially because the dehydrogenases can be avoided they will erstwhile also likely be deacylated. And some of those dehydrogenases, particularly applicated glutarate dehydrogenase, also requires lipoic acid uh, as an amide linkage to a lysine residue in that protein, which is basically the same way as PDH. So this is basically a rerouting of metabolism. Remember that. And we talked a lot about how lipoic acid was synthesized and inserted into that protein and how it can then be removed from the sirtuins. So that's where we were. Now I want to tell you about um, caloric restriction. I want to bring this back into the uh, front and center stage here because we're, we're, we're now circling into landing on um, aging, the immune system, and intermediary metabolism as it relates to this plenum of modifications of proteins that play much more significantly than a secondary role in driving metabolic interactions. And that's what these sirtuins basically are doing. So caloric restriction, uh, caloric restriction has been argued to possibly extend life. Now, life of what? Life of C. elegans, right? And so that is a, a, a biological model for studying genetics, it's basically a worm. Um, studying life uh, projection and increasing in um, extension of life in C. elegans is not the same as studying it in mice or rats, and that's not the same as studying it in humans. So you know that's a huge caveat with this kind of research. <clears throat> now, some effects of um, caloric restriction sometimes result in more harm than good, obviously in humans, because you can get a deficiency in essentials, such as essential fatty acids, that would be linoleic and alpha-linolenic acid, and then the nine or 10 or so amino acids that are essential in the diet. So you're aware of that. And you're also aware of the fact that just caloric restriction, depending on what your baseline is, can also lead to deficiencies just in digestion and absorption of nutrients, not just those that are essentials. So mechanisms involve significant alterations in energy metabolism. You think about caloric restriction and 
the energy metabolism, of course, is coupled to responses to oxidative damage, insulin sensitivity and resistance, inflammatory responses, uh, both caused by pathogens and non-pathogens, and changes in the neuroendocrine, paracrine, and reproductive systems. All of those systems, physiological systems, can be linked to nutrition. And the changes are likely triggered by metabolic responses to regulators in the cells. We've been talking about these quite intensely. And these regulators, of course, sense caloric intake, such things as AMP kinase, cyclic AMP-dependent protein kinases, and all the intracellular signaling, and therefore the result metabolic pathways that are dependent upon that intracellular signaling. That, of course, is going to affect cellular aging and senescence, and then, of course, the potential for disease. Uh, to occur both auto-inflammatory diseases associated with uh, aging and obesity, for example, but also diseases that can be caused by etiologic agents like bacteria, fungi, parasites, and viruses. Now, the re- some of the regulators intracellularly um, that respond to caloric restriction are the sirtuins. Remember, those are a family of enzymes that were initially shown to be associated with aging in the microorganism yeast. Sirtuins are NAD-dependent uh, uh, deacylases and deacetylases. They sometimes uh, associate with a, a direct link between nutritional status of the organism and many cellular genetic and epigenetic programs. Sirtuins also contain always a homologous domain that binds to NAD, that's the oxidized form of nicotinamide dinucleotide, which puts it directly into the, uh, the primary pathways of bioenergetics, right? All right. So mammals have several sirtuin homologs. We talked about these. There's uh, probably seven different homologous sirtuins from the microbes through the other mammals all the way up to man. And sirtuins one, uh, two, and six and seven likely catalyze deacetylation of protein substrates. Sirtuin four um, probably does not have a deacetylase activity, but does indeed have an ADP ribosyl transferase activity. And SIRT5 uh, has demonstrated to at least have desuccinylase and demalinylase activities, and probably more in fact it does. But th- none of the Sirtuins and mitochondria seem to have a robust deacetylase activity. So sometimes that's confusing. So caloric restriction can impact sirtuin expression and activity because of that NAD plus level, remember. Because remember, NAD plus is going to be linked to the electron transport chain because the oxidation of NADH driving electrons or protons through the electrochemical gradient, generating ATP in the mitochondrial system, is going to regenerate NAD. And then NAD can be regenerated, of course, um, or NADH can be regenerated, of course, via pulsing through glycolysis, glycerol-3-phosphate dehydrogenase. And then uh, that NADH then will be used ultimately in the mitochondria, can potentially be or used for lactic dehydrogenase, of course, as well. And then regenerating NAD. But also NADH is heavily produced by beta oxidation of fatty acids. But anyway, sirtuins, AMP kinase, mTOR, insulin signaling, all get affected by caloric restriction. This can result then in changes in the metabolic rate, which can have um, potentially, because of caloric restriction, a diminishing effect of hypermetabolism 
on generating cancers. And, and that's probably because of a uh, more robust DNA repair mechanism. All of that ultimately might lead to uh, better health and longevity of that better health. Remember that these sirtuins are subcellular localized. I mentioned that real briefly already. But in the nucleus, you have sirtuins 1, 6, and 7. Now, those are involved in a lot of epigenetic phenomena, chromatin remodeling, because they, they can deacetylate histones, for example. And also, they can deacetylate uh, transcription factors. Okay? And not just deacetylate, but deacetylate in general. <clears throat> but in the mitochondria, you've got certs 3, 4, and 5. And 4 and 5 are something we're going to hit here pretty strongly. Cert 1, remember, in the context of metabolism, it's going to influence the differentiation of preadipocytes. It does so by repressing the peroxidoproliferative activated receptor gamma. Additionally, CERT1 deacetylates and thus activates the PPAR gamma coactivator, PGC1 alpha, which in turn can activate mitochondrial biogenesis, as well as induce endothelial nitric oxide synthase, which is going to increase blood flow. <clears throat> So activation of CERT1 can cause deacetylation activation of also peroxoproliferator activator receptor alpha, and that turns on genes required to increase fatty acid beta oxidation. So all those changes activate oxidative metabolism in muscle and in adipose, and indeed even in liver. All of those um, promoted by CERT1, that deacetylase, seems to improve insulin sensitivity and may prevent the progression of metabolic age-associated disorders. This is one of the arguments associated with caloric restriction, and one of the CERT2 and CERT1. In fact, in fasting liver, CERT1 controls pathways that are responsible for upregulation of gluconeogenesis. And in fact, in early stages of fasting, now these are uh, mouse models, right? Early stages of fasting, gluconeogenesis is turned on <clears throat> by the CREB CRTC2 transcription factor uh, modality. And those also will activate transcription of CERT1. However, CERT1 activation will also trigger the deacetylation and then subsequent ubiquitinylation and degradation via the proteasomal degradation of one of those transcription factors, the CRTC2. And of course, that's going to lower the expression of all the CREB targets because you need CRTC2 as a co-transcriptional activator with CREB. So remember, PrEP is the cyclic AMP response element uh, binding complex. Now, at the same time, CERT1 deacetylates and, in this case, activates that PGC1-alpha and also FOXO transcription factors, and that turns on all the genes for, again, fatty acid oxidation and ketogenesis. Remember that the carbon coming from fatty acid oxidation is going to change ketone bodies in um, the fasting state, right? That's in the fasting state. So. Okay, now so far, I think we've, we've covered some of this in the past, but now I'm going to move on to a, um, more detail. Okay, CERTs are going to display a diverse subcellular localization and enzymatic function. That's clear, okay? CERT2, the one we talked about in some detail a while back, is cytoplasmic. We'll talk about it again later. CERT3 can exert a, a rather robust deacetylation of some of the mitochondrial substrates that regulate energy homeostasis, those involved in TCA cycle, for example. But CERT4 is what I want to talk about a little bit here. CERT2 CERT and 4, that isoform, will deacetylate malneocoid decarboxylase. 
and that will regulate lipid catabolism. Now, why? Because CERT4 is, an, is active in nutrient replete conditions, and it works to repress fatty acid oxidation while promoting lipid anabolism. Okay, so CERT4 deacetylates and in so doing inhibits malonyl-CoA decarboxylase. That's MCD. Now that enzyme normally produces acetyl-CoA from malonyl-CoA, right? Not from beta-oxidation of fatty acids. So you've made malonyl-CoA via acetyl-CoA carboxylase, but then that malonyl-CoA can be reconverted to acetyl-CoA. But CERT4 would deacetylate and inhibit malonyl-CoA decarboxylase, which means you're not going to make acetyl-CoA from mal-CoA. So mal-CoA normally provides, of course, carbon for lipogenesis, right? Uh, fatty acids, and also, of course, malonyl-CoA, that is, inhibits fatty acid oxidation. So mice lacking CERT4 will display an elevated MCD activity decarboxylase activity, and therefore a decreased malonyl-CoA level in skeletal muscle and indeed in WAT or white adipose tissue. Consequently, CERT4-KO knockout mice display a completely dysregulated or dyslipidemic profile, and that leads to increased exercise tolerance and actually a protection against diet-induced obesity. So it's it's a dyslipidemia in the positive direction, okay? When you get a cert 4 KO, when you get knocked out. Now, that all follows through with what MCD is normally doing when the carbon flow into fatty acid metabolism. So, cert 4 has also been shown to perform, not only that, but ADP ribosylation of the enzyme known as glutamate dehydrogenase, or GLUT1. cert 5 desuccinylates, demalinylates, and deglutarylates protein substrates as well, including carbaminophosphate synthase 1, CPS1. So therefore, it's regulating the urea cycle. Now, all of this is mitochondria. So you've got carbon flow, and you've also got bioenergetics. And then now I'm telling you, you also have nitrogen metabolism because this is intimately involved in the urea cycle. These cert these sirtuins are regulating all of those. So mitochondrial certs are emerging as really significant enzymes, intrinsic to pivotal metabolic reactions that really control metabolic regulation, homeostasis, and even turnover via mitophagy, particularly in stress. So cert 4 is an important regulator of lipid homeostasis, and it's obvious that melanocoid uh, decarboxylase is a novel cert 4 target, and we know now a lot more about the malonyl-CoA axis of control over lipid metabolism because of the CERT4 uh, research. Now, I told you I mentioned again CERT2, so let's go back to it. CERT2 is an NAD-dependent deacetylase, and it connects metabolism, again, with longevity in lots of different animals, including in microorganisms like yeast. Mammals have seven CERT2 analogs, okay? And uh, are, they have some of those, some of their mechanisms and some of their modes of activity have been worked out. Now, CERT4 is the mitochondrial enzyme we just talked about. It uses the NAD bound to it to ADP ribosylate and downregulate 
glutamate dehydrogenase. Okay, so glutamate dehydrogenase is known to promote the metabolism of glutamate and glutamine. Therefore, it's going to generate because of glutaminolysis ATP, which which basically promotes insulin secretion. This is in the pancreas. So a loss of SIRT4 in, now this is in cell culture, in insulinoma cells, will actually activate GDH, thereby upregulating the amino acids to stimulate insulin secretion. Similar effect actually is observed in pancreatic beta cells from mice deficient in SIRT4 because of using uh, microRNA or on a dietary regimen of caloric restriction. So what that means is that glutamate dehydrogenase from SIRT4 deficient or from caloric restricted mice are insensitive, in fact, to a phosphodiesterase, which is the enzyme that normally cleaves ADP ribose. That suggests the absence of ADP because of this activity, the absence of ADP riboxylation on that GDH locus. So the results indicate that SIRT4 functions in beta cell mitochondria, or the pancreas, to repress the activity of glutamate dehydrogenase by ADP riboxylation, thereby downregulating insulin secretion in response to amino acids. And that affects that effect is all then alleviated during caloric restriction. Okay, so this now helps us define a little bit more about the etiology of caloric restriction as well as what? Yeah, as well as what is the underlying biochemical phenotype of caloric restriction. Obviously, it's working at the level of uh, beta cells in the pancreas and also, as I just mentioned to you, working at ultimately the skeletal muscle and adipose as well and in the liver. Okay, so Let's summarize some of this by telling you about a new paper. The paper was published in Nature Communications in 2018. It tells you, once again, you know that there are reversible post-translational modifications, and that's a major mechanism in lots of metabolic pathways. As it turns out, post-translational modifications are also involved in tumorogenesis. Now, mitochondrial sirtuin 5, as I've mentioned, catalyzes lysine, which is, which is a part of the amino acid sequence of the proteins that are being covalently modified. So 2 and 5 will catalyze lysine desuccinylation, deglutarylation, and demalinylation. And all of those activities are associated with colorectal cancer. Now, how do we know this? Deletion of CERT5 causes a marked decrease in the uptake of C13-labeled glutamine into trigoboxylic acid cycle intermediates and glutamine-derived non-essential amino acids, all of that limiting tumor growth. You get less TCA activity and you get less utilization after proteolysis during cachexia because of tumorogenesis. Less utilization of those amino acids, not essential amino acids, that are all being synthesized because of transaminase reactions, which I'm going to mention to you in a minute here. Now, CERT5, it's 2 and 5, causes deglutarylation and functional activation 
of glutamate dehydrogenase 1. And that is an essential enzyme for cellular glutaminolysis, the use of glutamine basically to bring carbon into the TCA cycle. So this glutamate dehydrogenase 1, if you knock it down, it diminishes the CERT5 induced proliferation, because you can use an inhibitor of CERT5 or an activator of it by adding NAD. So glutamate dehydrogenase knockdown diminishes CERT5 induced proliferation of cancer cells, both in vivo and in vitro. So clinically, what's been demonstrated is that an overexpression of CERT5, clinically means in human studies, overexpression of CERT5 is always significantly correlated with poor prognosis in colorectal cancer. Okay, so this, these are human studies. So CERT5 supports the anaplerotic entry of glutamine into the TCA cycle. And that's found in malignant phenotypes of colorectal cancer via the activating initially of the glutamate dehydrogenase, okay? So remember how this, this process works. You've got an L amino acid converted to an alpha keto acid because of a transaminase, which is basically an amino transferase, with a, and it's a pyridoxal phosphate enzyme for those who want to know that. And what when you take any L amino acid converted to its uh, alpha keto acid, you're also taking L-glutamate, okay, and converting it to alpha ketoglutamate. Now, glutamate dehydrogenase carries out that reaction, right? It takes alpha, it takes L-glutamate, makes alpha ketoglutarate, and in the process, takes NAD or NADP and turns it into NADPH or NADH, okay? So this is how it couples into making NADH for electrotransport chain, which is another fundamental aspect of bioenergetics for the tumor, but also see how it feeds into the amino acid catabolism because it's running... That glutamate dehydrogenase is now running all that carbon through the system by converting everything to alpha keto acid. Those alpha keto acids are going to run right in a TCA cycle, carbon sources, right? Which is going to feed potentially via gluconeogenesis or just spinning the TCA cycle, generating enough uh, NADH and FADH2 for ATP synthesis. That's keeping those tumors uh, growing and dividing. So here's another interesting aspect of the sirtuins. Carbamylophosphate synthetase 1, okay? Now, that enzyme, CPS1, this is where you have ammonium ions joined with carbon dioxide and adenosine triphosphate to produce carbamyl phosphate. That's what CPS1 does. Now, this is an enzyme found in the mitochondria. and This is nitrogen elimination. This is part of the urea cycle. So you have acetyl-CoA plus glutamate, okay? And first, acetyl-choline glutamate uh, are involved in a reaction in, in, uh, called N-acetylglutamate synthase. So once you make N-acetylglutamate, that will activate this CPS1 enzyme. Remember what CPS1 does, bicarbonate, ammonium, and ATP will make this carbamyl phosphate. Now, carbamyl phosphate can be used to make erotic acid, which is on the way to, to remedy nucleotide metabolism, or it can enter into the urea cycle. So carbamyl phosphate then will enter into the urea cycle by, first of all, the ornithine transcarbamylase reaction. 
This takes carbamyl phosphate and ornithine, which is a non-protein amino acid, uh, and condense it to form citrulline, right? And both ornithine and citrulline are specific membrane transport systems in and out of the mitochondria. So this is how this functions. Then the third enzyme in the urea cycle is, of course, arginosuccinate acid synthetase, right? And that's in the cytoplasm. And that uses citrulline aspartic acid to condense to form arginosuccinate, okay? So then you have arginosuccinase, which will cleave arginosuccinate to form fumarate and arginine. This is how arginine can be synthesized uh, when it's not otherwise considered an essential amino acid. But because it gets consumed in urea cycle, it is still an essential amino acid because the last enzyme in the urea cycle is arginase, of course, and that's when arginine is cleaved to release urea. And then what it regenerates is ornithine for the ornithine transcarbamylase reaction, which leads back into the mitochondrial interactions and that completes the urea cycle, okay? So that's where CPS1 fits in here, okay? Okay. Now, paper published in Science back in 2011. Now, here's an interesting thing I'm going to tell you now. We're going back to sirtuins, of course, okay? CERT5 regulates the activity of CPS1. We know this because trypsin digested CPS1 peptides from bovine liver mitochondria contain, upon mass spectroscopy, a succinyl lysine residue. CERT5 will desuccinylase, and that's been shown because of using CERT5 knockout mice, okay? When you don't have the CERT5, you can't carry out desuccinylation of that lysine residue on the CPS1 protein. So, in fact, CPS1 activity is, is upwards of 15% higher in CERT5 wild type versus the knockout. Okay, so if you have a knockout, you can't desuccinylase, right? That's lower activity. So it sounds like that, that the desuccinylase is an activating effect, right? So mass spectral analyses of three lysine residues actually in carbamorphosphate synthase one demonstrated that they can be both acetylated and succinylated. Not at the same time, but that is differentially. So for lysine 44 and lysine 287 on the CPS1 backbone, the levels of acetylation and succinylation don't change significantly, interestingly, in the CERT5 KO knockout mouse. However, one particular lysine residue, lysine 1291 succinylation levels increase dramatically in CERT5 knockout mice. And, but the acetylation levels, nothing is affected there. Only the succinylation increases when you get rid of CERT5. Okay? So that seems to be the target for regulating the CPS1, you see? So protein lysine succinylation is reversed by CERT5 in vivo. That's what that demonstrates. So CERT5, of course, is an NAD-dependent demalinase and desuccinylase. We know this from previous literature. The demalinylase or desuccinylase activities are much higher for that protein when studied in vitro than the deacetylase activity, which is negligible. So the preference for negatively charged acyl groups can be explained by the presence of a tyrosine-102 and arginine-105 in the, actually in the active site of the CERT5 
uh, desuccinylase enzyme. And those are conserved, in fact, in all class three subfamily sirtuins. Because this tells you something why there's substrate specificity, of course. So presumably all class three sirtuins with that conserved arginine and tyrosine couplet should have NAD-dependent desuccinylase and or demalinylase activity. So it's no surprise that CPS1 can also be gluteril-related because indeed it is. Now, gluteril-ation comes from gluteril-CoA. Where do we get that? Again, from amino acid degradation pathways. You see, this leads us right into good, solid metabolism. So lysine and hydroxy-L-lysine can be converted to um, alpha-aminoadipic acid. And L-tryptophan can be converted to alpha-ketoadipic acid, which is in um, kind of a homologous series with aminoadipic acid. So aminoadipic acid can be converted to alpha-ketoadipic acid, which can then be converted to glutaryl-CoA after esterifying to coenzyme A and generating NADH from NAD and releasing carbon dioxide. This is a death, right? Decarboxylate and dehydrogenase, okay? So once you make glutaryl-CoA, that can be used as a substrate for glutarylation of proteins. But glutaryl-CoA can be further converted to crotinyl-CoA and ultimately all the way down to acetyl-CoA um, uh, with further metabolism. Okay, And that's an FAD, the first reaction is an FAD-dependent reaction. Okay, so I just want to make sure you knew where this fit into metabolism. So finally, let me just tell you about the CPS1. So remember, you have to have the right residues for this glutarylation. But when you get CPS1 glutarylation, when, when, that, when that enzyme is glutarylated, okay, you get a decrease in enzymatic activity, and you also get a, a phenotype, a pathophenotype of hyperammonemia, okay? But when 